Bruce Campbell? There's nothing <laughs> scarier than a rabid child. Got me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good stuff. I love you. I love you too, kiddo. Welcome to the World of Horror podcast. I'm Mom, and that's Mac, and I'm actually Mac's mom. This is the podcast where we share our love of international horror. Fear is universal, but we are not afraid of subtitles. A disclaimer, the thoughts and opinions expressed are ours only. We are not professional reviewers. We have no credentials of any kind. We are just a couple of horror movie fans who enjoy discussing international horror movies. Also, these discussions will include spoilers. You have been warned. Welcome, Wohos. Our all-watch this week is the 2001 gothic horror film, The Devil's Backbone. Mac watched Culture Shock, and Mom watched Kronos. But before we get to any of that, we have a special guest this week. Devin is here. Hello. Welcome to the World of Horror podcast, Devin. Well, thank you both very much for having me. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Uh, I just had a couple of questions I always like to ask my guests. Um, how did you get involved in horror? What's your background in horror? Well, I did take the liberty of listening to uh, my uh, brother's episode from two weeks ago, I believe it was. Um, uh-huh. And and while I definitely share their um, experience with John Carpenter's The Thing, um, our, our, our dad definitely liked to uh, <laughs> indoctrinate us into the world of horror with that film probably at too early of an age. I think I actually got started with the original Alien. I believe that might have been one of my first introductions to uh, the horror genre. Um, I had had seen... um, I was a diehard Sci-Fi Channel kid um, growing up. Sci-Fi Channel was one of those channels when they they didn't have... they, They weren't doing a lot of original content back then. It was like... Farscape and mm-hmm. Lex and like a couple other original series, but there wasn't much else. So what they did was they just shoved as many TV, they shoved as many movies on cable as they possibly could. Um, and that was kind of my, uh, I got to see, so I'm, I'm almost positive. I saw alien for the first time on sci-fi channel with commercial breaks and everything and edited for, 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 for content and stuff. Um, and it definitely had a profound impact on me as far as just like, oh, this is a movie that even even looking at it, you know, 20 years later, it still packs a packs a punch. It still has an impact on um, just its overall sense of atmosphere, its sense of tone, the tension it builds. I rewatched it recently. I've actually re- rewatched um, another podcast I listened to. Their Patreon has been doing commentary tracks for all the Alien movies. So I've been rewatching all the Alien movies, and it struck me it's unheard of. In the first Alien movie, you don't really get your first scare until like a good 20, yeah. 25 minutes in. It's, mm-hmm. it's, you, no one could get away with that nowadays. Not even Ridley Scott. I'm pretty sure Alien uh, Covenant gets gets things going really fast mm-hmm. yeah i think you're right um did any one particular scene stick out to you from alien or was it just the whole experience i mean definitely the the initial i would say the 
I mean, everybody always always re- references the um, the the first the the face hugger coming out of the egg attacking uh, John Hurt, but I think it's Tom Skerritt in the vent is is what gets me when the alien catches him in the vent. That that freaked me out when I was a kid, and that's still like even though I know it's coming, it's still it's 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 choreographed so well, um, mm-hmm. to the point where. And they know it too when they when they when like when it, when it gets like referenced again. Like I was playing, I, I played on my Twitch stream. I played Alien Isolation, the video game, uh, mm-hmm. last year on my Twitch stream, and they know that that's a potent moment because there's so much like ventilation, like exploration in that game. So they know they're like, we know this is the moment of the movie that freaks you out the most. We're gonna have a lot of vents in this game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you familiar with that game, Mac? I also played it on my Twitch stream, and I can oh confirm. God. It was, uh, well, because at first you don't kind of have confirmation that the alien can get you in the vents, so you have to find that out the hard way mm-hmm. um, by dying, and it's yeah. not fun. <laughs> there I... are actually several parts in that game where I was like, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> it, it takes a lot out of me. I, 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 I achieved, I got the, I guess it's sort of an achievement in its own way. I, I achieved the killed by the alien 100 times achievement, nice. which only 2.7% of players have accomplished. So a little feather in my cap. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Something to put on your I'm resume. Impressive. Very, very, very good at dying in video games. <laughs> um, Devin, are there horror... Um, I, there's something I've been... So I'm in keeping with atmosphere and mood... Have y'all ever heard of a movie called Carnival of Souls? It, is it rings a, a bell, but I've never seen it. Here, no. I'll pull out the. This is the. It's a. It's a. It's a black and white movie. It's on the Criterion Collection. It's really good. It's a. It's a great example of a. It's. It's weird because it kind of has a little bit of a hometown uh, 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 feel for me because my family is originally from Kansas. And this was made by a Kansas-based uh, production com- company who normally made educational films. In fact, that was like their bread and butter. <laughs> they were the go-to. If you've ever, if you've ever seen an old-school, um, like drivers, <laughs> drivers' ed video, like like drivers' ed film of like you know like what to do when like to avoid accidents or whatever like that. If you've ever seen one of those old-school like film reels, this company made it. But one wow. of the direct one of the directors in his spare time worked on this film called Carnival of Souls, where he <laughs> wanted to make a, a horror film about a woman who is drawn to this abandoned carnival, this abandoned um, park, basically in, it's not in Kansas. It's in, um, I want to say Arizona. Oh yeah. Uh, in uh, Utah. Sorry. In, uh, in uh, Salt Lake city. And it's one of those great horror films that does a ton with very little. It was shot on like a shoestring budget it was like all the actors were local people. It's it it some of the like the director is is a ghost in the movie. Like he casts himself as a ghost in the movie, and it's also um, we in weird ways it influenced David Lynch in a lot of ways. In fact, mm. David Lynch's music uh, music collaborator um, Angelo Badalamenti was a collaborator with this director before he started working with David Lynch, and so. If you ever, if you've never seen it, I recommend it. It's a great example of like how to do horror well with very little money. Mm-hmm. Cool, that's awesome. Um, 
Well, we remind the Wohos every week that we have no credentials of any kind. But I understand that you do have some credentials. Well, I mean, I do have a, a degree in film studies. Um, <laughs> that is what I went to school for uh, at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't. I'm trying to think if I saw any, if, if I really saw a ton of horror films while I was there. I saw, well, once again, kind of kept keeping with the suspenseful. I think I saw some. I took a Japanese cinema class where I got to see, oh, we did a unit on uh, Kiyoshi Kurosawa, 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 hang on, Kiyoshi Kurosawa, Kurosawa. right, yes, (laughs) and we watched, and we watched, uh, we didn't watch Pulse, we watched Cure, we had, Mm. we watched watched Cure for a class, and then I think I watched Pulse on my own afterwards, Um, and yeah, I wrote a report on, I, I, I'm I'm beating myself up for not being a part of the ring episode because I actually had to write a paper. I wrote a paper comparing uh, Japanese horror films with their American counterparts. So I I wrote about the Ringu and the ring, uh, the, both the Japanese and the American grudges. And then uh, I was going to say, I think I wrote about pulse, but I never saw the American pulse. So maybe I just wrote, about the Japanese pulse and assumed the American one was bad. <laughs> I, I have been told it is. You'll have to yeah, return if we ever alert. do Grudge, the remake, yeah. and the OG. Oh, we'll have to watch all all three because now we got the, the John <laughs> the John Cho one that came out last year. Oh, true, 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 true. Where they I didn't they, see that re, one. they redid it again. Oh, really? This time, because the American Grudge, the one with Sarah Michelle Gellar, is still set in Japan, whereas yes. the new re- reboot of the grudge that came out last year is set in America. John Cho is a real estate agent, I think, or something. Okay. Tasked mm. with trying to sell the the, the cursed house. <laughs> yeah, good luck. <laughs> yeah. I do love John Cho. Uh, mm-hmm. I do too. He's really um, is I've I've been told he's really good in that what was that horror film he was in? Like Unfollowed or Un Yeah. Um my mom and I we wa- we watched that in theaters with Quinn. Didn't oh, we? It may- with Quinn, yeah, yeah. A friend of the show. Friend of the show and- Quinn we it it's disturbing i mean i felt i felt tense like the it's whole all, time it's all done through like skype calls and stuff right mm-hmm. yeah the movie that's that's a really intriguing idea i've yeah they did it really well you know, i have a love-hate um, relationship with found footage movies but when it's done right i think it can be really effective i'm right there that with you good and then you have to see host that's mm. my new host is my good new favorite movie um zoom horror Mm-hmm. Zoom horror. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so your degree was that in documentary studies, Devin, or was it a general? So UNCW degree? has a general. Until recently, UNCW had a general film studies degree, and you could kind of pick your concentration. It wasn't anything that would like get shown up on. Would you could like. Um, it couldn't be like a field of study that you would get accredited for. But I think when I went to school there, one of my professors um, sort of encouraged me to pursue the documentary field. And so that's kind of what ended up being my, my field of study my senior year. And that led to me making a documentary feature in 2011 about the music industry. It was called uh, Firewall of Sound. I got to interview a lot of really awesome musicians about the ever-changing world of the music business especially in the early 2010s it was 
Streaming was still very much in its infancy. I, in fact, at the very last minute, I shot a little extra material before I finished the film. I added a little bit of extra material about a new service that was just starting out in the UK called Spotify. <laughs> it did not even it? did not even exist in the US yet, and it was still very much something that we were like being told, "Oh, that's something. That's a potential." And at the time, I had I was completely uh I was I was unconvinced it was going to lead to anything. I thought people people are not going to want to rent music. People are mm -hmm. not going to want to have temporary access to all the music because I think people want something more permanent and I ended up being very <laughs> wrong about that. <laughs> um to the point where now I'm very much a devotee of 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 streaming services um despite the fact that I still have tons of, of cds behind <laughs> me um i definitely still uh worship at the altar of physical media but um the documentary i did i got to interview a lot of really awesome people members of bands like the mountain goats uh mm -hmm. neutral milk hotel i got to interview the manager of rem which was a really cool experience um, wow yeah so it was a really it was a really fun learning experience um i ended up with a with a really cool film that you can see on uh, it's streaming for free on um, Vimeo called Firewall of Sound. And okay. I can send you a link to it uh, later when we're done. Um, okay, and I can put it in the notes too. Yeah. Well, that would be great. Well, you told me you could talk forever about Del Toro. I can. And I, was, I, <laughs> I really enjoyed... Uh, I'd never seen this movie before. I'd never seen The Devil's uh, Backbone. It's one of the movies that I believe Criterion includes in their, like, in their like trilogy box set with Kronos and Pan's Labyrinth, I think is what there's. Yeah, they paired guess, up with. Um, yeah, they're put together like that. Right. Um, I guess Del Toro felt like Devil's Backbone. He said was the his first movie in a way because mm -hmm. he had he had so much control. Whereas right. in Kronos, um, it was a lot earlier mm -hmm. and he didn't have as much control. So, but yeah, they do sort of go together, I guess. Well, and I've always I've always been fascinated by his he's always done this really Guillermo del Toro has had an amazing um he's done an amazing job of kind of bridging the gap between Hollywood mainstream filmmaking and these like passion projects of his. He's very much he very much has his voice. He has his his method of storytelling and you can kind of you can kind of draw a line through his career of like when he finds that sweet spot of getting to have the best of both worlds and i think you can definitely see elements of what would become pan's labyrinth in this film it this almost feels like pan's labyrinth at a much smaller scale mm -hmm. it's like one location for the most part we never really venture outside of the i guess orphanage i guess yeah. is what it is um, boys house really makes <laughs> yeah yeah home for boys we never really yeah, venture outside is it implied is it implied that all the children and all the boys in this have have dead parents from the war is no kind of be, because um they get letters later oh, um okay. yeah like there's a part where they're like reading letters um and somebody's like my mom told me she's gonna come get me soon That's carlos true. is an orphan but he just had to sit there like Harry Potter and like the first, you know, Christmas, you know, like just, oh, I don't right. have anything. <laughs> yeah, that is true. But yeah, so, um, yeah, it, it's interesting because, um, so Guillermo del Toro is from Mexico, but both this film and Pan's Labyrinth are about the, the Spanish, 
the 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 uh, Spanish War. Yeah. Um, Civil War. The Spanish Civil War, right? And I looked on Wikipedia. It looks like he had an early drafts of this movie that were going to take place in Mexico. This ended up being a Spanish Mexico like co production, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's my understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with Devil's Backbone and maybe with Kronos. I can't remember when his relationship with um, Almodovar began, mm-hmm. but I think Augustine Almodovar is credited on the Devil's Backbone. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And then um, eventually Del Toro would kind of, he would kind of team up with Almodovar and Inoritu, the director of um, uh-huh, yes. Babel and uh, Birdman, right? That's the Birdman director. And they would kind of be like the three amigos is there, would be their unofficial title. But yeah, so this movie, it was really interesting to watch kind of the beginnings of him. Because it also came after, it came, his last film was Mimic. Which I have seen. Right. I've seen Mimic. It once again another would air infinite times on the Sci-Fi Channel. Like that was a go-to. Like mm. they would they would show that movie nonstop on Sci-Fi. And so me and my dad would watch uh, Mimic a lot. And I remember being like, "Wow, this movie's really freaky and impressive for a '90s like American horror film." It definitely has like otherworldly aspects going on. For I could not. I don't remember much about it now, but I do remember it having an impact on me. But it was wild to think there was a four-year gap between that film and this film. And apparently it was born out of just his dissatisfaction with the way his experience oh. making Mimic went. He was he was unhappy with the American. Although it looks like specifically he was unhappy with Harvey Weinstein and the way Harvey mm. Weinstein treated him on Mimic. Mm. I read an interview with James Cameron where he almost got into like a fist fight with Harvey Weinstein (laughs) (laughs) because he was good because James Cameron was friends with Guillermo del Toro and heard about how badly he was treated during the production of Mimic. That's really funny that he's like, I got you, bud. Like, (laughs) well, and it's funny too, because in the interview was about him. um, Let's see. It was on, it was on Guillermo del Toro's wiki as well, but it was like the interview was about, it was supposed to be, it was about um, James Cameron, you know, winning the Oscar for Titanic and the, and the, and, and the interviewer was like, what was it like during the Oscars winning for Titanic? And he was like, it was great. Almost punched Harvey Weinstein in the <laughs> face though. Hi, you're back. Oh, you're muted. Oh, yeah, now you're I'm back, unmuted. but um, I don't know what to do because I was talking to Mac about how I, I found an interview with James Cameron about how he almost hit Harvey Weinstein at the Oscars because he had heard about how uh, how uh, badly Guillermo del Toro was treated um, when he made Mimic, <laughs> which I just yeah, think is I've... which I just think is cr- which I think is very it's it kind of gives me a newfound respect for James Cameron that the guy is yeah. like is like fresh off of winning like the night he wins the Oscar for Titanic and and I'm... Harvey Harvey Weinstein is glad glad handling him and he's just like. <laughs> He tells, I'm ready to go. he tells he tells Van, Vandy Fair, I almost got in a fight and hit him with my Oscar <laughs> because of because yeah. of, Del, of, of Del Toro because he he liked him. I think there's still a lot of affection for him, mm-hmm. um, and also that experience, um, while it was really unpleasant and it and traumatic, I think in some ways, right? Um, I think it made Del Toro um, take care of the people he worked with right. in the future 
for the way he describes it, you know, he protects them from the studio. Mm-hmm. And um, so it, he sounds like a really great guy. He um, seems like a very – I follow him on Twitter. He's such a likable dude. He's also, mm-hmm. like, a huge film nerd. He's such a big, like, film nerd when it comes to just, like – He's he'll 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 gush over like Japanese anime and 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 Godzilla movies and he will you know it's like he's a kid in a candy shop whenever he goes to to Tokyo there's great like video of him being interviewed on like on Japanese TV shows and he's just like in awe of just all the culture that's around him because it's all <laughs> the stuff like he grew up on That's sweet. Yeah. That's very cool. Um yeah, so I rewatched Pan's Labyrinth. And he did mm-hmm. say that The Devil's Backbone and Pan's Labyrinth were sort of brother and sister mm-hmm. um, films. I, yeah, it was the first time I had seen The Devil's Backbone too. Um, but I watched it twice actually because I couldn't. I had like an ADD moment or something, so mm-hmm. I got to about forty minutes left in the movie and I shut it off and then I went back and watched the whole thing. Right. But um, but it was so nice to see like Federico Lupi show up again. He's the um, king of the underworld and pans so it's just really oh, cool how cool. he uses um he used him in all three chronos and oh, um, devil's nice. backbone and very cool pans well i so. really liked him in 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 the devil's back back in the devil's backbone he was the he was the headmaster guy right the, the yeah the doctor mm. and then um doug jones um you know he yeah. he played the pale man and the fawn mm-hmm. um and he also was in Mimic as well. Right. Um, so he reuses people, you know, over oh, yeah. and over again. So Yeah, he loves Doug. He um Doug Jones, I have a funny story about him. Um we so I'm also part of a comedy troupe. Uh we're called Pineapple Shaped Lamps. We're based out of here in Wilmington. Um every year up until obviously for obvious reasons, last year, we would go on tour. We would do conventions, we would do the convention circuit. And one year, um, we went to con carolinas in charlotte and one of their guests was doug jones and oh we, my gosh and we uh got to meet him we were all super huge fans of his i think hellboy 2 had either just come out or was like right around the corner and so we were definitely like just in awe of this guy also insanely tall man you have no idea how tall this man is um <laughs> and when we asked to get a group photo with him he asked if we could just carry him. He was like, why don't you guys just carry me? And so there's a great group photo. I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you guys of all of us just <laughs> collectively holding Doug Jones in our oh, arms. Wow. While he's just like, sit, so just, cool. just smiling. <laughs> that man <laughs> cool is a treasure. Dude. That man is a treasure. I'm, I'm so <laughs> glad he and he and Guillermo del Toro are perfect for each other. Match made in heaven because like Doug Jones is, is, he will tolerate hours and hours in a makeup chair and Guillermo del Toro keeps giving him more and more to do that it culminating with, um, the shape of water. Yeah. Um, which is his, like his masterpiece, I guess, as far as like both the Doug Jones performance and, and when he finally like won the big Oscar. Yeah. In one of the interviews, he was just gushing about Doug Jones mm-hmm. and he's like, he's not a performer. He's an actor. Mm-hmm. And, um, but he said, like the fawn costume was painful. Mm-hmm. Like he had, he was basically his, his legs, the bottom part of his legs were bent back. Right. Um, and then the, 
I don't know. I don't know what was supporting him, but that part was green screened out mm-hmm. um, to to make the fawn legs look more like fawn legs. But it was a, incredibly painful. So, did, um, <laughs> so did y'all yeah. ever hear the story about how Doug Jones didn't speak Spanish, and so oh right, he didn't he didn't know he wanted like he wanted the mouths to match for when they would dub him over later with with the Spanish actor who would pr- provide the voice. And so it was a, it was a twofold thing. One, he didn't speak Spanish and two, the motors and stuff whirring in the fawn head were so loud. He couldn't hear the little girl talking. And mm-hmm. so he basically learned, he learned his lines phonetically and also learned like, like when to start moving his mouth when the little girl stopped talking or something on set. And so it was just this crazy dedic- dedication to just making sure he got it right for the edit to make sure that they were able to like make it look good in post. Yeah, that's great. That makes me happy. I want to watch <laughs> Pan's Labyrinth again. It's been a while. Yeah, that's so, one that I watch over and over. I don't so know. Good. Yeah, I really love that one. Um, I uh, I definitely um was disappointed in that that the 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 sexiest person in the devil's back backbone ended up being the villain in this movie. <laughs> Eduardo, <laughs> Eduardo, Eduardo Noriega as Jacinto. I hate him. I've never seen another movie. He's the other film he's f- made, best known for is um, open your eyes, which was, which was mm-hmm. what would re- be re- remade in America as um, vanilla sky. Didn't he look so much like, I feel like Quentin Tarantino saw this movie and Eli yes. Roth's character in, in Inglorious Bastards oh, is yeah. just him. You're it's right. just him. Like You're for a second right. I was like, wait, is that Eli Roth? And I was like, no, he just copied exactly this character. That makes sense. Yeah. I was also thinking yeah. he looks kind of like a if, if they did a Spanish version of the mummy with Brendan Fraser. He oh, yeah, that oh. hair for sure. Eli Roth in Inglorious Bastards is, is spot on too. I think it's just because he's wearing the the the, the, the suspenders, the, the suspenders, and the and and the. <laughs> you too. And the, yeah. <laughs> he was. I was like, "Ooh, who's this guy?" And then he's like, oh, I, don't know. I know. I don't like Dang him it. anymore. It's the worst. <laughs> Boo. Yeah. Um, he's not a good guy. <laughs> I was also. I was a little. It. I. I feel like the the special effects are dated a little bit. It did look a little, the, some of the, some of the more obvious like CGI effects. And I kind of wished I would have loved to have seen a purely prosthetic mm. version of this movie because like when the ghost child appears, it's very, impre- it's very effective until you start seeing all these like weird, like floating like things around him. The, and, like, like particles. The of the, I like, I get the idea they wanted to like kind of give him this like porcelain crack in his, mm. his forehead, but like the blood coming out of his forehead was a little too artificial, in my opinion. But I mean, like I said, for for two thousand one and a, a, a low budget, it it looked pretty good. Yeah, and he did a really yeah. good job of it being a. It's a really good um, example of a ghost story that doesn't. I almost feel like the ghost elements. If you took the ghost elements out, you'd still have a very interesting film. You'd still have a very uh, uh, captivating story about this, like, orphanage and this conflict during this wartime. Um, and the yeah, whole, the like... orphanage, to me, was my favorite part of it. Like, mm-hmm. um, I felt like 
this movie it shined the most to me when uh he was just kind of creating this like because the world felt very like alive and Mm -hmm. um i i just it's like so loved watching like the kids like interact with each other and like them interacting with like um casaris and carmen and whatnot and um yeah i almost yeah i i agree i feel like uh it would have just been also as tension filled to have you know the school of like children in the midst of like a really violent war Mm -hmm. and del toro he can't help himself he has to he's (laughs) he's a humanist through and through so every character even utterly irredeemable people like uh um jacinto even even him even he gets that scene where he goes through like the photographs in the safe and it's pictures of him when he was a kid. And it's like, and apparently on set, like Guillermo del Toro, like gave him a backstory and like told him about his parents. And like, this is, this is what kind of led you to like create, he had to like create his own backstory about like why he's doing what he's doing so that Mm -hmm. he could at least justify it in his head as an actor. Mm -hmm. But everybody is like that. Like the kids could have easily fallen into stereotypes of like bullies and stuff. And there is a bully character, but he's given a motivation and a reason why he is the way he is because he's the one kid that witnessed the other child's death and there's and, character growth like, yeah he isn't like the same one note character like by the end um and i even feel like in the beginning of the bullying it's like like him and carlos are still kind of like we don't like hate each other but like i am gonna beat the shit out of you but like right. i don't hate you but you annoy me you know it felt more like like i i feel like I could see a remake where it's just like, I don't know, very like two dimensional, like, mm-hmm. you know, they, they don't even speak or, or pretend to be friends ever until the very end when it's like, oh, actually he had a heart this whole time. You know, right. I feel like it completely subverted that. Right. Yeah. So I, I would say overall, I was really impressed with it. I don't know if it's really one I would want to go back to and rewatch over and over again, but I could definitely, it's really... I've always been fascinated by director filmographies, like sort of tracing the steps that led to like whatever the next project was. Apparently he made this and then pretty much started working on Blade 2 almost right after, which um, mm. which I've never seen. But um, I've been told is is one of the better uh, entries in the in the Blade series. But just like you get to see that it's 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 these it's these weird peaks and valleys of like. He makes a, a an art house like Spanish language film, American Hollywood film, Spanish language film, American, and then eventually he finds that middle ground. Like Pan's Labyrinth, kind of begins his "I can do whatever I want" his blank check phase, so to speak, where he can make the crazy Hellboy uh, uh, sequel he's always wanted to do. He gets to make his his Shape of Water. He gets to make his Pacific Rim, where he just mm-hmm. is going all in on these crazy ideas. Devin, thanks so much for joining us today yeah, on the you're World more of Horror welcome. podcast. Well, we'd love to have you back. You're welcome anytime. Thank you. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for joining us tonight. I never want to skip Mom and Mac chat. Aw. How was your week? Hmm. Well, I fake, I got to work, did all the things I had to do, and then I fake uh, called sick so I could go home because I just wasn't feeling it. Like I was just, I started having like, I've been feeling really good about like my anxiety and stuff. Like anytime I get like a really weird thought, I'm like, 
calm down. Um, but it just kind of kept like going and I was like, I can't be here right now. And so then I went home and then I played like, um, my, my soothing video game for like three hours. And then after that I was like, okay. Um, but I, I don't know if like Mercury's in retrograde. I don't know how the planets are aligned, but like everyone I've talked to today has been like, today is a weird day. Um, this week is just like a weird week. I think there was a new moon um, last night or the night before. Mm, that could be um, it. But all I know about new moons is supposedly they're good times to make a, you know, make a change. Oh. Or, you know, set your intention for the next mm. week or month or whatever. I don't like change. But I like routine. <laughs> <laughs> I think that Mercury retrograde is happening four times this year, but I don't know when. Hold on. Is Mercury, they have a, a website, <laughs> ismercuryinretrograde.com. No, something else must be bumming you out. Fuck. <laughs> um, Quinn said we need to get a audio capture of you um, clicking on your, type, on your uh, <laughs> keyboard. My keyboard so any... is like, like, it's so loud. I didn't, I only got it because it's pink. That's the only reason why I got this keyboard. Oh my gosh. Look at it. It's I know. It's huge too. It's amazing. The keys are enormous. Yeah. And um, the only thing I regret is just, I mean, like here, I'm just going to type in, hi, my name is, like how loud <laughs> is so fucking loud. It makes me laugh. Hi. Because <laughs> it sounds so fake. <laughs> but it's real. It's my real fingers. But it's real. <laughs> It's your real fingers. On it's your so real funny because whenever I'm on stream and and I'm like I, I do the same like I look up some people are always like what are you like are you slamming your hands down on the <laughs> keyboard I'm like no. <laughs> well, how how is your week, mother? Well, <laughs> my anxiety is pretty off the charts um, because what is in the water. Well, I'm worried about COVID because the mm. uh, numbers keep going up. And up and up, and um, <laughs> Greensboro's really a problem. Um, Same for Wake County. Uh. <laughs> and also, um, so my uh, the president of my college is president. Oh. <laughs> I was like, are we, are we getting into Donald Trump territory? <laughs> no, no, no. The president, <laughs> not that one, but the, just the president of my college. But he doesn't do anything. Unless he's told by our governor to do something. Oh. So. Roy. His plan is to have us be online these first two weeks. And then we'll wait and see. And worst case scenario is I have to go in once a week for 75 minutes and teach 15 kids in a classroom. But uh, today... No. The president of the national or the North Carolina chapter of the Educational Association mm -hmm. wrote a letter to our governor and said, look, Listen, we are buddy. scared to go back into the classroom because we don't have the vaccines yet and it's the numbers keep going up and so you need to do something. Pal. Roy Cooper. I mean, like, Roy Cooper, if you're listening to the world of horror. <laughs> he, friend of the show. Friend Roy of the show, Cooper. Roy Cooper. Um, I did vote for him. Um, I mean, I, I, 
you know, I guess I'm happy he beat Dan Forrest. However, he posted some, he, he tweeted, I, I hate that, you know, you got to cite pol, pol, politicians' tweets now. Um, he tweeted that um, he was like, uh, implored North Carolinians to do their best. And it's like, aren't you the fucking governor? Like, if you want to shut shit down, like, that's you. Like, you do that. Like, I'm doing my best. Like, but I'm one peon. Like, I am a pleb. Like, you literally rule the the state. So, like, listen. And, you know, I, I'm not saying he's got an easy job. There's, like, people who, even when he sets out the ordinances, we got the fucking, oof, the wackadoos in North Carolina who are like, I don't care. I, I, this is infringing upon me. Um, and, uh, but still, it's still kind of like, dude can you like <laughs> please so, i don't yeah. i don't have a i don't have a problem with him but i i just think he could be doing um, more i think he's fucked either way but i do think that we need more limitations because clearly what we're doing isn't working it, that i think that's what i mean is like like you can't just be like hey north carolinians can you like not cuz like obviously they will so it's like but i think you got to do something but i think now that things have been opened up all this time i'm not sure if we can go back i mean mm. gavin newsom in la did you know but I, but that's yeah, also california know. that's a different <laughs> world you're talking about a whole, a whole different, different country world. over there yeah, so my anxiety is pretty sky high um, mm. and um, not sleeping. Same. And, yeah, <laughs> so it's just hasn't been a great week, but mm. I did start teaching this week. And so maybe that'll help, you know, mm -hmm. add a little more structure to my to my life. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I just watched a lot of movies this week. And mm -hmm. um, how many movies have you watched good. this year already? I started a notebook. Did oh, I, tell you I don't think you did. Or if you did, I forgot. <laughs> okay, let's see what it says. Well, yeah, how many, okay. how many films? Okay, I wrote last one's out. Um, that was on January 2nd. I wrote, ugh, frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> In a word, and then I saw frustrating. Spiral on 2019. Um, okay. One, two, three, four, five. Oh, I didn't tell you about Impedigore. Mm -mm. That's an Indonesian film. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, plus all the Mexican movies, which I think was, well, are we counting movies that I've already seen? If you if you viewed it this year, yes. Okay, so Kronos, um, Devil's Backbone, Pan's Labyrinth, Here Comes the Devil, Borderland, and Santa Sangre. So that's six more. Twelve. You're only Twelve. one above me, actually. I've watched it's 11. It's only the 13. But, you know, I, I, was, I was thinking maybe I could watch 365 movies this year. I don't I know. Th I bet I could. I bet I could. I think you could. Listen, you're, already, you're only one behind. I know. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Well, do you want to get into Let's it? Let's get into it. I have a question for you, Mac. Okay. What is a ghost? 
Um, tragedy condemned oh. to repeat itself time and again. Love An it. An instant of pain, perhaps. Something dead which still seems to be alive. An emotion suspended in time, like a blurred photograph, like an insect trapped in amber. I loved this. Yeah. I, I really liked this. I, well, and w yeah, what I was going to say is like, to me, what I feel like this movie does really well right off the bat is the vibe. Like mm -hmm. the vibe is the same the whole time. And, you know, I couldn't tell you, I couldn't put into a million words exactly what this vibe is. But I guess I would say it's Guillermo del Toro. Like, it, he has a really fantastical view of the world. And even despite this not taking place in a, such as a fantastical setting as Pan's Labyrinth, this still felt just as whimsical in a way, but in a really sweet way. And even to me, that is like a really sweet opening. Like, yeah. in a way, I, I kind of struggle calling this a horror movie. Because obviously it has horror elements, but like... Well, we can get into it. We'll, we'll get into it. Yeah, that is a question that I wanted to um, to pose. Mm -hmm. um, you got some stats? But it's kind of hard because, you know, it's a ghost story. Mm -hmm. um, yes, I do. I have, a, I have some stats. Um, it's an hour 46. And let's see. The cast is Fernando Tialde as Carlos. Inigo Garces as Jaime. Eduardo Noriega as Jacinto, Marisa Paredes as Carmen, Federico Lupi as Dr. Caceres, and Junio Valverde as Santi. I need to see, is... Oh, also, sorry. Is Irene Vicedo as Conchita. Fernando, wow, he is older than Sam. Who? The little boy, Carlos. Oh, Carlos. He was born in 1986. Wow. That's incredible. Sam, whoa, Sam is my elder son. My brother. Who was born in 89. Okay, all his business is out there on the internet now. <laughs> his social, his address. <laughs> <laughs> um, El Espinazo del Diablo is the devil's backbone in Spanish. Okay, so what I thought was... Um, as you know, I take the plot synopses, synopses, synopses from Wikipedia. So did you want to go like paragraph by paragraph? Yeah. And then, um, if there's something to say, we'll say it. And then if there isn't, there isn't. Do you want me to read it? Why? Sure. Okay. Um, well, so I'm going to read what you sent in the Gmail. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, Casares and Carmen operate a small home for orphans in a remote part of Spain during the Spanish Civil War. Helping the couple mind the orphanage are Jaquinto, the groundskeeper, and Conchita, a teacher who is also involved with Jaquinto. They're engaged? I feel like I they say so. at one point. Yeah. Casares and Carmen are aligned with the Republican loyalists, who are hiding a large cache of gold that is used to back the Republican treasury. Perhaps not coincidentally, the orphanage has also been subject to attacks from Francisco Franco's troops, and a defused bomb sits in the home's courtyard. Very okay, ominous. Yeah, this is this is a pretty big deal. It's uh, not unlike the bomb that's in um, Under the Shadow. Yeah. I, I looked online to, to see if, if there was a connection there, but um, there's got to be, Come right? On, I, I mean, mean, it's crazy that there's this, like, 
diffused bomb in this courtyard. Right in the middle. You can't miss it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the kids have like decorated it with like ribbons and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but it's const a constant reminder, obviously, that we're in the middle of a war. Yeah, because the, the way that this school is set up, it's very much... Um, and again, um, like Devin said, this takes place primarily in this school. And so you're kind of in like just, you know, a courtyard and the, the boys school or, you know, orphanage the entire time. But I feel like um, it feels so alive and dynamic that it doesn't you realize at the end, oh, this is kind of taking place all in one location. But it doesn't really feel like that. You know, um, I feel as though this the courtyard itself is kind of like a square shape. So in a way, you would kind of have the thought of like, well, we're kind of sheltered from the world. Like like the scene at the end of Bird Box, spoiler alert, when they go to like the, you know, the, 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 the place, the oasis, you know, and it's like a part. But it's like, this isn't. There's a bomb right in the middle of the courtyard. Like, <laughs> right. you can't get away. <laughs> no. And the, the way the framing um, is so cool because there's always somebody in the foreground and somebody in the background. And the kids are doing stuff like moving a statue of Jesus Christ, you know, or... And what a statue that know, was. Un unwrapping these, um, I don't know, like statues of saints or whatever. It's super dynamic. Are, um, like, uh, you yeah. really feel like, I mean, every single... I, I, I was kind of in a way reminded of like Dead Poet Society, like uh, uh, kind of that just vibe of like, I don't know, school, innocence. I mean, obviously these kids are kids. They're not like young they're not in high school or anything, but I don't know. It kind of had that same kind of like innocence in a way, um, mm -hmm. which yeah, again sure. is a stark contrast to the occurrence of what is happening. Um, yeah. Yeah. One day, a boy named Carlos arrives at the home with Ayala and Dominguez, two Republicans. Um, they ask Casares and Carmen to take him in because his father died fighting the nationalists. Now, Carlos does not know this and, um, yeah. <laughs> which is, I mean, fucked up that they don't tell him. Um, but I guess they just don't want him to freak out. Ayala was also Carlos's tutor and Carlos already, to me, he kind of comes in with a little bit of, um, he, he, he's a sweet boy. Now don't get it twisted. Carlos yeah. is a sweet boy. I mean, truly amazing, but he's already kind of like a fish out of water. Cause he's wearing, okay. What is up with like little boys wearing suits? They always have to wear shorts. Like, why is this a requirement? Like this, this happens in every movie I see. It's like, if a boy's wearing a suit, he can't have pants. It's gotta be shorts and knee high socks. Um, and he's coming in with his little, his little, you know, trunk and he's got comics and, and like little games and all the other boys there are very like, you know, they, you know, Carmen tells him, Hey, you get one soap and that's got to last you the whole year. Like, you know, it's not, um, they're not living in the lap of luxury. So he's kind of like pointed out a little bit as kind of being like, mm, he's, he's kind of posh. Um, but Casares and Carmen take him in. And the boy soon strikes up an unlikely friendship with Jaime, a boy with a reputation for tormenting other kids. And he's already got his sights set on Carlos. Um, Carlos soon, began having, soon begins to have uh, visions of a mysterious apparition he can't identify and hears strange stories about a child named Santi who went missing a day, the day a bomb appeared near the orphanage. And when he sees 
this ghostly child. It is a child whose like face is like also kind of a skull. He's got this like crack um, and his like top corner of his head and um, already kind of I could clock from the get that I was like, oh, he's in the water. Like, I, I don't know. Cause the way that his, yeah. the blood was coming out, I was like, this, this fool's in the water. Some like wherever there's a body of water, that's where that kid is. Um, I, it was a cool effect, but I was kind of like you, they only tell you at the very, very, very end, basically that the kid's in the water. And it's like, I've been new from the second I saw him, I knew, but okay. Um, but uh, Carlos sees him like almost immediately. Yeah. Um, you know, before he's like unpacked his case or anything, he sees this kid. And um, I don't know if Santi has an actual translation, but it's pretty close to Saint. Mm. So that's just, you know, in there mm -hmm. um, in the background. Okay. Um, the bomb in question is lodged in the dirt at the center of the courtyard, having been dropped from a warplane months before. It was deactivated before it could detonate, but was impossible to pull from the ground. Fixture. Carlos is befriended by two boys his age, Galvez and Owl, who are so cute. The boys, these kid actors, they earn their paycheck. They, um, kind of like what mom was saying earlier, um... You know, there, there's always a flurry of activity. Oh, mom has disappeared from the Zoom. I will I will continue, though. Um, we'll wait for her. But there's always like a flurry of activity going on. There's always um, some somebody's in the back moving things. You know, they're, they're playing with each other. And it really feels as though this area is alive, um, which is great. And... Um, he shares his toys and comic books with Galvez and Owl. So they're kind of not mad that he's posh. They're kind of like, hey, I mean, if he's going to share his goodies with us, like, I'm not complaining. Um, so on his first night of the orphanage, the there's these two jugs of water that are in the boys' sleeping quarters. Oh, and I guess it should also be noted. He's sleeping in bed number 12 which is the bed that Santi had slept in before he, you know. And so, you know, Carlos gets like a little feel. Somebody's watching him. Um, something goes bump. Both of the water jugs fall down and you see little like little boy footprints. Um, and everybody wakes up and they're like, bro, why did you spill the water over? And, you know, Carlos isn't a tattletale. So he's just kind of like, Fuck, man, I don't know. So Carlos is dared by Jaime to sneak to the kitchen for water after their pitcher spills in the dormitory. And Carlos is like, listen, I might be scared of the the ghost who, who whispers, you know, the whispering ghost. But if you're a badass, you're going to come with me. And I thought that that was a great scene because he he tells Jaime like, like, well, okay. I'll go refill it, but, um, you're coming with me. And Jaime's like, Ugh. and he's like, well, I mean, that is if you're not too scared. And Jaime's like, Ugh. so of course Jaime has to go. Um, so as the boys cross the courtyard, Jaime whispers that he believes the bomb is still active as he can hear its heart ticking within. Um, the boys reach the kitchen and there, there's a lock. They have to kind of like shimmy their way through. Jaime gets his water and he goes back to the dormitory, leaving Carlos alone. 
Carlos hears a chilling whisper from an unknown source, which tells him eerily that many of you will die. And oh, actually, I'm sorry. I'm gonna put. I'm gonna put before this. Um, Carlos actually has to hide in the kitchen because Jaquinto, who, I mean, let, let's let's get into Jaquinto. I mean, I'm not a Jaquinto fan. Like I said, he uh, uh, the the role that Eli Roth played, oh, the Bear Jew in Inglorious Bastards. I mean, just think of that. That is exactly what Jaquinto looks like. So he is like a ham steak. Like he is like a like a beefy man and a half, but. He's like an asshole. Like he's a dick, and basically he wants to steal the gold that Carmen and Casares are keeping because he's an asshole, and he just think he thinks that it's it's he deserves to have it because he grew up in that orphanage for fifteen years and hates his life. Um. But it's kind of like, so why do you, why are you trying to fuck over children? Like, anyways, I'm going to wait actually um, a little bit more. Hello, mom, if you're listening to this later, this is me just waiting for you, for you to return. Ooh, mom's back. Hello. What is happening? I don't know. I don't know what, what's happening. All right. Somebody doesn't, somebody, somebody's fucking. It's fucking with you. I mean, if that happens again, maybe we should just do this like Friday or whenever you're free again. Because mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I. Um, well, I, I kind of kept talking, but then I stopped talking. Um, I, I just went over um, how they they the the water gets pushed over and they have to go to the kitchen. Oh, yeah. Um, so yes, uh, um, Jaime has already left with his jug of water says deuces leaves carlos and he <laughs> has to hide because jaquinto and i and i had to pause because i was like let's get into jaquinto for a little bit um i'm not a fan and that was actually my biggest qualm with this film was the jaquinto screen time um because De- devin mentioned earlier that jaquinto was kind of humanized in a way i disagree entirely i only hated this guy like because so so we learn that he used to be at this orphanage. He's been there for 15 years right. and hates his life. And I'm like what just confused. I couldn't wrap my head around why he wished so much ill will upon these children that like he obviously could relate to of, oh, you're an orphan because he's an orphan. And so he was like, you know, I, I always, you know, no, nobody was coming back for me. And it's like, damn, so's Carlos. And you don't see him being an asshole. And like. Um, oh, but I guess, I guess this gets into what Casares is, um, his whole, but I don't, I, I wish it just kind of, I really detested him and like anything he did, I was just like, fuck you. And I, it wasn't even like a fun detest. I was just like, fuck this guy. Like I hated him. Um, what were, were you gonna say something? I feel like he is an example of the fascism that they're fighting mm. um and he's he's stuck in a way between the children and the adults mm-hmm. and we'll get into it but he's actually having a sexual relationship with an adult um someone who's much older than he is and who at some point we have to guess had authority over him as a child disgusting and um, and it's sort of like a mother figure so he's having this like weird 
but he's so he's stuck there's like nobody really in his position except for conchita his um fiance who okay conchita's who beautiful really, nice and he yeah like, he doesn't he doesn't have respect for her um and he taunts her and you know it's it's he's a dickhead unhealthy yeah, but I, I really feel like he's sort of like a man without a country in a way, not literally, mm. but like he doesn't have any place to be. So he's he's out of place. He's he's a fascist with a bunch of commies, you know, and he's like the only young adult, you know, mm. who is there in the school. He doesn't really have a place. Yeah. Um, but it, I, I'm not not to say that's like that makes it okay <laughs> the way he acts around people, but I feel like that you know everything's a symbol in this movie, and I just for sure. feel like he symbolizes. Um, we can hate him if we think of him as a fascist, as a rule follower, mm. and um, somebody who is trying to keep order, even though he doesn't really have any power. But I I'm confused though a little bit by that comparison because. Like, what rule is he trying to enforce? I feel like his only rule is I deserve everything. Like, whatever yeah. whatever I can have. But it's like, like, and I'm not even, like, I, I appreciate, you know, the, the, the symbolism of, you know, um, the conflict within the orphanage mirroring the conflict of the war. But I, I just found, like, I just found the way he was written to just be draining of just, like, I'm tired of this guy. Like, I don't want to see him. And like, I really didn't think that really a lot of his decisions made sense. And I wish that they did because, or were explained a little bit better. I feel like that could have been like, I could have had the movie without him entirely. Um, yeah, it's tough because he's just a daddy. There's not, like, there's nothing there's else. There's nothing redeeming about no. him at all. And the longer we spend with him in the movie <laughs> the worse he is and he takes up like a and, third of the movie yeah too much true. um and so he we see him as carlos is hiding in the kitchen he's trying all of these different keys and we notice earlier that um uh, uh carmen had given a key to carlos for his locker and she notices huh i think there's like less keys on here a hint. Um, so he's trying all these keys to get in there to, to take the gold. Why? Because I guess it's his and he deserves it because he's the only person in the world. Um, so after this and, you know, Carlos is like, he's gone. He hears a chilling whisper from an unknown source, which tells him eerily that many of you will die. He freaks the fuck out and he dashes outside and is caught by Jaquinto, who, again, is just like a motherfucker. And it's just like mean to him he's just like what what are you doing over here you know um and then as he's as he's coming <laughs> this to me this made me laugh out loud he's he's after all of this this has been a very long scene um good scene but long he's fine he's just bringing the jug of water back and he looks up into the window and all the boys are holding slingshots and they just throw a rock and then the water breaks and then it's just the next day <laughs> i thought that was yeah. amazing i thought that was a great i scene. know because it's so <laughs> He's just so careful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's got Jacinto and then he's got this fucking ghost, you know. Like, and he didn't spill the water. And not now. at all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so then at breakfast the next day, Dr. Casares uh, demands that Carlos gives up his accomplices. But Carlos ain't no snitch. Um, mm -hmm. So he refuses to rat Jaime out. But 
Dr. Casares is super smart and he says to Carmen, he's like, listen, he's not going to say anything. When he walks back, whoever looks up is who his accomplices were. And sure enough, Jaime and Owl and Galvez look up and, um, but, but they all know that he didn't tell. So they have like respect, you know, they're like, Carlos, yeah, you're a real one. <laughs> I love, I love like all of this. Perfect. I love this part of the movie. Um, let's see. And so Jacinto has been at the orphanage, like we said, since he was a boy, harbors a passionate hatred for it. He works on the property along with his fiance Conchita, who is perfect in every way. I don't like that this woman's personality is just <laughs> she's young, beautiful, loves God, and is perfect, um, yeah. and loves kids. And but we find out this is salacious. I really wasn't seeing this coming that he mm -hmm. has the sexual relationship with Carmen, um, and so he uses that relationship because we see after they do it and he's like at the mirror like tidy pretending to tidy himself he's actually trying he's putting back the key that he tried to get another key um and um carmen shares a wall with dr casares who you know is an old dude but they they kind of have this like poetry like you know loving romance thing but then she's over here kind of getting like fucked by this guy and um, I really, I really liked this because I really feel like it made Carmen so interesting. Like, I wanted to know more about her, even though this is disgusting, like she should not be doing this. But, um, you know, she, even though she's like, this, this is the last time, they fucking do it again. Like, like almost immediately afterwards. Um, I was actually here for it. And Dr. Casares knows, like, he's like, listen, he's like, <laughs> but he, he yeah it's yeah. really tough because he loves her but he's impotent um we can talk about that in a minute but there's suggestions that he's impotent mm -hmm. and so um what's his face Jacinto makes a note of that and he's like oh so you need like a hard cock inside of you um and she does yeah she needs to get it yeah but she won't kiss him mm-hmm so, right, she won't kiss him because she's ashamed mm -hmm. at the same time. So it's a very kind of twisted, um, very twisted relationship that they have. And we should also um, mention uh, Carmen has uh, one prosthetic leg. This will come into yes. play, <laughs> and it, it pains and he's her. Sort of, it pains her, and but he sort of tenderly takes care of that, you know, putting it on her, and so it's not like it's a completely, I don't know, inhuman connection that they have there there is you know affection and tenderness there but it is pretty sick and perverse i just kind of wish like i felt like this was a moment any moment with jaquinta where he's with conchita or with carmen to me that that's an opportunity for me to for, for you to humanize him a little bit more and i feel like this scene is negated by future scenes where i'm like he's just so careless and just shows no empathy so it's kind of like almost when he's doing this kind of thing i'm like he's a sociopath like he just is doing this so that she can yeah. trust him but i wish it was a moment to humanize him i want to like him but i don't yeah he's he's sort of beyond you know beyond help yeah because he's just so bitter and he's so i don't know tortured or whatever and then what we learn about him later too um, has got to be something that's just mm -hmm. destroyed his soul. So he's Did we, kind of beyond help. I believe, 
Um, I, I think um, there's a scene. Yeah, there's a scene before this um, where because Car- Carlos, <laughs> Carlos is one of those kids who's like, I, you know, he's like really sweet, young, mature boy. And so he's, of course, he's like a teacher's pet. So he is hanging out with Dr. Casares and um, he asks him um, if he believes in ghosts. And Dr. Casares mm-hmm. is like, well, I'm a man of science. Like I, he's like, I don't believe in superstition. And so he's got these formaldehyde jars. I guess they're not filled with formaldehyde, but that's, you know, what they would be um, with these babies, like, you know, preserved yeah, fetuses, yeah. fetuses. Yeah. And he tells, yeah. so he, he's kind of going into the difference between superstition and science. So he, this is where we get the devil's backbone because he shows a fetus that has this exposed backbone and he's like, people like to say that this child should have never been born, um, that he, you know, it's of the devil. And so, um, and it's, you know, kind of a way to make it make sense. But he's like, but I know that this is just like a birth thing. And he's like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't, he's like, I don't believe it has anything to do with that. And then he continues about the superstition. He says some, he's like, you know, you know, I used to preserve this. He's like, it's a bunch of old rum and like this other shit. And he says, um, yeah, and I sell it in town because old men uh, who are impotent, he legit just like, he makes like a whole demonstration for the boys. Like, oh, you know, when like men can't get hard, like it was like, dude, he, he gets it. Um, uh, he, he's like, yeah, I sell this to them to make money for the orphanage. And he's like, so if, and he pours out a little shot glass and he's like, so if you believe that there's ghosts, you'll drink this and the kid's like no i don't think i saw anything and then he leaves and then as soon as he's out the door he looks at the thing and drinks it amazing i loved that um yeah really really funny a great scene but also um i guess twisted you know, shows the sort of like yeah it's a twisted thing <laughs> i mean oh my god we have these like preserved fetuses fetuses in this solution and he drinks from it. And um, when I get to my movie, I'll tell you something else oh. that Del Toro made him do that was really disgusting. <laughs> but I mean, just the suggestion that he's drinking this liquid where these fetuses were were encased is just horrific. Awful. But I guess the suggest he was sort of like, well, can't hurt. I'm impotent. Yeah, so here we maybe go. it'll, you know. Down the hatch. But he he's just like negated everything he just said. Yeah, and- it's amazing. And I really like his his lines. I feel like um he has a way of being a kind man though who's who's actually mm-hmm. not su- putting in a lot of effort though to make the world make sense for the children and to me this is like a prime example of like he wants this kid to shut up like he wants the kid to stop talking and so instead of like because there's even a moment where where he's talking with carmen he's like have you heard about this ghost that's around he's like and they're talking about it so it's like it's not that he and obviously he drinks this you know disgusting solution so it's like he yeah there was an opportunity for him to really delve into it with carlos but instead he scares him and makes him leave he does it in a kind way like in a way that's like like you know not not like get out of here kid but it's a way that shuts carlos up from bringing it up to him and i thought that that was again really interesting like a really because i still felt like he had a really warm loving presence but he also was like i don't want to get into this right now you know yeah 
I think that's the kind of thing that like parents run into, mm. like when they're asked a question, they're not prepared to answer quite yet. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of like that because Carlos says, you know, do you believe in ghosts? And they're talking about the Count of Monte Cristo. And he says there are no ghosts in the Count of Monte Cristo. I remember so he that. sort of he wants to go back. We could just talk about the book mm -hmm. like that would be safe. Mm -hmm. So talking about ghosts gets us into this you know, situation where we're talking about, I don't know, the devil and God and, and what happens after death. And it's just too crazy. I yeah. don't want to go there. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I really enjoyed that scene and that whole, mm -hmm. again, all of these characters who are not Jaquinto, amazing, like really, <laughs> really multidimensional, very interesting. Mm -hmm. Love it. Um, let's see. So, um, the boys tell Carlos of the ghost that they believe haunts the orphanage. A boy called Santi, a recent resident and friend of Jaime's, had vanished on the night the bomb was dropped. Strange sighing noises are heard at night, and the boys believe it is the ghost of Santi. Carlos decides to locate the, the ghost himself because he's fucking badass. He sneaks <laughs> out again at night and encounters the ghost, a pale, delicate figure of a young boy with blood flowing upwards from a wound in his head like he's in the water okay um <laughs> the ghost pursues carlos back into the building and a tariff oh we should say he kind of goes into the basement of the kitchen where we see a body of water okay he's in there um <laughs> he pursues carlos back into the building and a terrified carlos spends the night hiding in the linen closet featuring a great scene next where the next day one of the ladies who works there opens it up and he just screams and then she screams and then he runs out um so then later um when all the boys are asleep um jaime actually does drawings at one point there's another amazing scene he's like he's like hey Carlos, I see you've got some comics there. I'll trade you this great picture of a naked lady. And it's the most yeah. crudely drawn woman with like a literal mouth for like a vagina. Like it's wrong. Mm -hmm. And they're like, but they're like, wow, this is a looker. And, <laughs> and Carlos is like, did you draw this? And he's like, you're really talented. And again, I love all of this. It's so beautiful. So Jaime's really you know he's really closed off so while he's sleeping carlos does the never do this to an artist okay he goes mm -hmm. into his locker takes his sketchbook and flips through it i mean he's amazed at the beautiful drawings but he's also like but it's also like dude jaime would be dying right now um so he finds a drawing of a ghostly figure named santi leading him to believe that jaime knows more about the subject than the other boys because jaime and santi were friends santi's the ghost what does he know? Um, and again, there's just, uh, I, I really love the friendship of Carlos and Jaime. Like there's a moment where Jaime's drawing, you know, a mammoth and he's talking that he really wants to do comics one day. And so Carlos says, Hey, whenever you do comics in the future, like you can draw the pictures and I can write the story. But of mm -hmm. course, Jaime's still kind of closed off. So he's like, I don't need anyone to write my story. I'll just like write it myself. Um, but Carlos won't give up. Um, <laughs> I did want to talk about that mammoth. Oh, yeah. Um, so Carmen is teaching a lesson and um, she has a picture of a mammoth and Carlos is the only one who knows what it is, I guess. Um, and I wanted to talk about this because in the final scene, when the villain is confronted, um, all the boys have like spears. <gasps> oh. So... 
when you kill a mammoth, you know, you have to do it as a group. Mm -hmm. You know, one person can't kill a mammoth. And the same with the villain. And so it's sort of a, and and I thought it was kind of a Lord of the Flies kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't get that so I thought, from first viewing. I yeah. thought that was pretty cool. I like that. Um, so anyway, yeah. I mean, there's so much in this movie. It's hard to. Yeah. Well, we'll, um, we'll get through. Okay. Th- this is where all the it all comes to a head. So Dr. Casares receives news that Ayala, Carlos's tutor, has been captured by the nationalists. And he actually sees him get, like, shot in a firing yeah. squad. Very disturbing. So fearing that he had been tortured into revealing the gold's location, he convinces Carmen that they must evacuate the children immediately. This isn't entirely true because he says, we'll save as many of them as we can. <laughs> and actually, at first, he's like, Carmen, let's go. And she's like, I can't just <laughs> leave these kids here. And he's like, oh, okay. Um, so Jaquinto overhears and confronts Carmen, demanding the stash of gold and crassly bringing up their sexual relationship in front of Dr. Casares and God and the kids and everyone. So enraged, yeah. Casares turns a gun on Jaquinto and forces him out of the building. And I, again, I just love this kind of like multi-layered characterization where like Dr. Casares like isn't like, oh, you whore. Like, I feel like a lot of movies would do. Like, he, like, loves her. Like, he's like, listen, this is a fucked up situation, you know? Um, So the... (laughs) (laughs) All's fair in love and war. I mean... So as the... As the orphans and the faculty prepare to leave, Conchita discovers Jaquinto pouring gasoline around the kitchen, and he had placed a bunch of cans of fuel. It's like... And this is where I'm really like, bro... Like, how did you and Conchita even get engaged? Like, how did sh- how did you even convince her for one second that you were not a monster? Because you're you're about to kill a whole group of kids. Like, not just like teen, like like okay, it wouldn't be good to kill kill teens, but it's like these are like ten year old <laughs> kids. You know, it's like they they can't commit any injustices in the world. Like they're innocent, innocent, you know, completely innocent. Yeah, and he's been in their position. Okay, um. So she's horrified and she threatens him with a gun and he keeps, he keeps, he, he makes, he basically makes her shoot him because he's like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And she shoots him in the arm. So he throws his lit cigarette on the floor. Of course it starts a raging fire and um, he flees the building. Conchita alerts Carmen and Casares who ordered the children out of the building before the many cans of gasoline in the kitchen explode. Carmen and fellow teacher Alma attempt to stifle the blaze, but they fail to prevent the devastating explosion. This is a f- tough scene because, I mean, tough. we've spent this whole time like loving and getting to know even the background characters. And it's like you see dead kids like there's just like dead kids. Um, and um, also, I just want to note the name Alma mm-hmm. means soul. Aww. S-O-U-L, soul, mm-hmm. Alma. Yeah. So Alma is is swallowed by the inferno, and many of the children are killed, just as the ghost predicted. And injured Casares finds Carmen, who's been mortally wounded. She's got like glass shards in her, and so she's inside the wrecked building. And he he's he's trying his best to like patch up her wounds, but she's she's gone. Um, And it's really sad. And he 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 like tells her like a line of poetry as she dies. It's really sweet. Um, So him and the surviving boys which include Carlos, Jaime, Galvez, and Owl, remained in the charred orphanage, and Casares promises not to leave them, and he sets up a chair by the front window and waits there for with a shotgun for Jaquinto's return. So, the following night, 
Jaime finally tells Carlos the details of Santi's disappearance. Jaime and Santi had been collecting slugs at the cistern, as, as boys do, when by chance they spy Jaquinto <laughs> attempting to open the safe. This motherfucker. Jaime ran and hid, but Jaquinto cornered Santi and attempted to threaten him into keeping his mouth shut about what he had seen. In anger, Jaquinto shoved Santi, a boy, against a stone wall, resulting in the boy receiving a severe head injury and sending him into shock. Jaquinto panicked, tied stones to Santi with ropes, and sunk the body in the cistern. Great. Um, a terrified Jaime emerged when the coast was clear and ran into the courtyard, only to have the bomb land several feet from him moments later. Jaime's fucked up. Like, but we can't For blame sure. him. He's been traumatized. Um, but he's not evil. No, and Jaime's interesting because he does sort of copy some of the things that Jacinto does. Mm -hmm. Like, he's got, um, he's got a pocket knife. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it seems like Jacinto um, cuts Carlos, right, on the face. Yeah. Um, and it seems like Jaime wants to do the same thing, but he doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, so he, he's sort of following um, the example but not, not because taking he it, has but... a soul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He also um, has a crush and, on Conchita. And he also is an artist. Mm -hmm. And I think this is important for Del Toro because mm. um, Del Toro is an artist. And so, you know, artists have a way of sort of transcending their situations and all this stuff. Um, Jacinto doesn't have anything like mm. that. Like he doesn't have any abilities like that. Um, he's just, I mean, later, um, Conchita will call him a beast. He is. He's just an animal. He doesn't yeah. have um, he doesn't have anything beyond his sort of, you know, I mean, he's human, but he's bestial, too. Yeah. Because he's just, like you Callous. said, he's driv driven by his own ambition. Yeah. Um, so Jaime explains to Carlos, he's like, I'm no longer scared of him. And I'll, I will kill him if he returns. So Conchita, she survives the explosion and she says, listen, I'm going to walk to the nearest town to get help. Who does she meet? Jaquinto and his two cronies driving back to the orphanage to claim the gold. So Jaquinto, Jaquinto threatens her with a knife. He tells her to apologize for shooting him. And yeah. she's like, hmm, I know that this might, you know, be a bad idea, but she insult calls him a beast and he stabs her. She dies. Mm -hmm. And earlier, Jaime had given her, because he traded with Carlos to get this this ring. It was like a ring around a cigar. He traded with Carlos to get it and then gave it to Conchita. And oh, it was so sweet. because, And it's great because they don't try to like make this weird either because she, she calls it like kid mm -hmm. stuff. But you can tell she's like really touched just in the way of like, this kid's a sweetie, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. And... So Carlos um, has one more encounter with Santi's ghost, and he's no longer afraid because Santi's a victim. And so the ghost quietly demands that Carlos bring Jaquinto to him. And Carlos is like, heard. So, <laughs> <laughs> sure. Dr. Casares finally dies of his injuries while sitting by the window with the gun. I think, I believe it's Jaime, like, closes his eyes. Really sad. Yeah. 
Chiquinto and his associates reach the orphanage and imprison the orphans in one room while they search for the gold. And Jaquinto literally says, he's like, we can just kill him. Like, they don't have any parents that'll come looking for him. It's like, okay. And even the other guys are kind of like, um. Wow. Yeah, they're like, Jesus, okay. And so the other two men, they grow impatient and they're just like, bye. And Jaquinto uncovers the stash hidden in a secret compartment of Carmen's prosthetic leg. And by the way, this was a beautiful prosthetic leg. It was very cool looking. Um. So the orphans, they know that Jaquinto is going to kill him once he finds, they're going to, he's going to kill them once he finds the gold. But Jaime encourages them to fight back as Jaquinto is only one man and they are four boys. Um, so the boys fashion weapons from sharpened sticks and broken glass and escape their room with the help from the ghosts of Casares. <sighs> loved it. Loved it. They attack Jaquinto in the cellar. They stab him multiple times. One time in the armpit. I was like, oh, um, yeah, that was tough. They push him into the cistern where he had deposited Santi's body. He attempts to escape, but he's weighed down by the gold bars tied to his belt. And then Santi's ghost appears from the depths and drags him down to his death. Amazing. 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 <laughs> um oh and wait i want to add just another detail about how horrible he is he he goes up to to fucking jaime with with the with the ring from the cigar be before his death of course and he's just like yeah. oh didn't you give this to conchita basically being like i killed her um mm -hmm. horrible so then the remaining boys leave the orphanage and begin the long walk to town and dr casaris's ghost watches them from the doorway and repeats the same monologue that he had at the beginning about a ghost um, and that is the end of the but, And then he says, he says, that's what I am. Yeah. You know, um, and he said he wasn't going to leave, right? He told no. the kids, I'm not going to leave. And he didn't. Mm. Um, he stayed there. Yeah. Um, so I thought maybe we could grade this in slugs. Oh, okay. What would you give it? I'm sure I liked it more than you did. I'm going to give it three and a half slugs. I'll give it a four. Uh, now, I did want to talk about the slugs. Because um, I looked up slugs. I'm like, why slugs? Yeah. Now, it could just be that they're boys and slugs are cool. And they just wanted to, like, collect them. Mm -hmm. And slugs. Um, but one thing I found out from the internet is slugs are mostly water. Mm. That's mostly what they're made of. Mm -hmm. And apparently... Del Toro, when he was a boy, he used to dissolve slugs with salt for fun. Del Toro, what are you Come doing? Come on, Guillermo. Come on. Um, but <laughs> can you think of a more um, pain? And, and, and you know, it's actually more painful than 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 you describe because it's like they're because of the salt. It's like science shit. It's like the water the water from them has to like escape because of. Mm -hmm. I, I can't think of the exact thing. Science people, you know what I'm saying. And um, yeah, it's just incredibly hor a horrific way for a slug to die. Yeah. But um, yeah, I I don't know. I really liked it. Um, it's It does have its problems, obviously. Jacinto is sort of a one-note hmm. uh, villain. <laughs> you get bored. Um, and Conchita doesn't have much of a character. Um, nothing like Carmen. Um, so that's unfortunate. 
Um, I, I liked the coffee bean, a grain of strength. Yeah. When she gives the boys mm -hmm. just one little coffee bean. Um, Which Jaime gives her when she begins her walk. <laughs> so there's just a lot of beauty in it. Um, it's a beautiful movie. Owl, the kid named Owl, he never speaks, but he sees everything. And I don't know, there's just a lot of really cool details. Like, I would recommend it. It's just, it, and it pains me to give it a three and a half slugs because <laughs> truly there are parts, there are parts of the movie that I loved so much and was so here for, but I just can't deny that. Like, I mean, there's a third of the movie that I'm like, I don't want to be watching. And like, I, I have to stop myself from tuning out because I was just so bored of Chiquinto. I was just like, oh, you're the worst. And... I even feel like you can make a villain who is the worst be at least like fun to watch. And I'm not blaming the actor or anything, you know, but I just felt like it, you know, I was kind of like, can, can we get back to my, my sweet boys? I want to see my sweet boys now. Um, or, or my sweet Carmen or my sweet Casares, yeah. you know? So when your movie just has a part that is just like, God, I, I can't get through this. Like you got to give it three and a half slugs in my opinion. I understand. <laughs> well, for what has Max seen this week, um, I chose gothic ghost stories. And I took these from the Den of Geek, Screen Rant, Film Daily, and Ranker. Okay. And I know you've told me that you haven't seen films um, that are very old. But the old ones on this list are Rosemary's Baby from 62, which you have seen, mm -hmm. um, and then Rebecca from 1940, and Gaslight from 44, which a uh, friend of the show, Quinn, should definitely put on the list mm -hmm. um, for very soon. And then, let's see if I have any really, really old ones. Oh, yes, The Haunting and Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Whatever Happened to Baby Whatever. Jane is on my list. It's on my yeah, list. and I don't, I don't know if it's a ghost story. I mean, I don't know. But um, okay, but here's here's from ninety two to the two thousands. Oh, and Suspiria is also nineteen seventy seven. Another thing um, on my list. Yeah, supernatural forces um, at work there. Okay, Bram Stoker's Dracula, nineteen ninety two. No. Interview with the Vampire, 1994. Yes, but I was like a child when I saw it. I watched it with Dad, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think you did. He really liked that movie, I think. Mm -hmm. um, Sleepy Hollow, 99. No. Crimson Peak, 2015. Yes. Interesting yeah, movie. The, mm -hmm. the Others, 2001. Yes. Great movie. Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street. Yes, and I just, listen, I just got to say this. I'll only say it once. I'll try to make it quick. I have seen Sweeney Todd, The Barber of Fleet Street. The 1982 stage version with Angela Lansbury is better, okay? That's it. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get no argument from me. Uh, the Woman in Black, 2012. No, but I saw The Woman in Black, too. Oh, I like The Woman in Black. I never, it's pretty jump scary, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, The Handmaiden. This is the Pak Chun Uk. No. Handmaiden. But it's on my list. Another oh, one. It's so good. Yeah. The Witch. Yes. Saw that in theaters. 
not a fan. Watched it twice to try to be a fan. Was not a fan the second time. Okay, here's my thing with The Witch. I like it up till the very, very, very end where the devil is revealed. Why? Mm. Yeah. It's unnecessary. Yeah. I don't enjoy it the whole and, time. <laughs> it, and it would be so much more interesting if if we didn't know if the goat were the devil or, or not. Yeah. But... I mean, it just pretty much is confirmed at the end. Yeah. Uh, the Conjuring 2013. Yes. yes. Let the Right One End 2008. Yes. And I read the book. Pan's Labyrinth, yes. 2006, and The Orphanage. No. This one keeps coming up over and over again, too. Gotta see it. I gotta watch it. 2007. I'm a fake fan. All right. <laughs> do you want to talk about your movie, Mac, or do you want me to talk about my movie? Talk about your movie. Okay. I watched Kronos. Now, I just want to give a shout out to another movie that almost made the list. Um, and the one I want to give a shout out to is called Here Comes the Devil. <laughs> and it's super low budget, but it has to do with um, these children who run away to a cave. And when they come back, they are different. But that's all I will say. Woo! It's super intriguing. Now, it's been criticized because it seems like the director really likes boobs. Because um, <laughs> the, uh, there are a number of shots of women's um, shirts being opened. Um, there's one shot where apparently the devil was standing on this woman's chest. And so she opens her shirt to reveal oh my the God. footprints of the devil. I thought that was kind of a cool shot. But, <laughs> so you might be offended by the seemingly sexist, you know, <laughs> Uh, um, an unnecessary mm -hmm. uh, depiction of boobs, but if that doesn't bother you, have uh, at it. You might you might enjoy this movie. <laughs> I liked it. Bothers I mean, me. I read. I read a I'm lot here of... for. I'm just <laughs> no, I mean, I I looked up reviews after I had seen it, and apparently mm -hmm. it was widely panned. But I wow. have to say. I had a good time watching <laughs> Here Comes the Devil. Um, all right. So the the one that I am going to talk about is Kronos, which is also by Del Toro. It's an hour 32. I saw it on HBO Max. Hmm. So it starts in the year 1536. And there's year. an alchemist who, <laughs> heck of a year, uh, he develops a mechanism that can give eternal life. And in 1937, an old building collapses and the alchemist who has marble white skin is killed when his heart is pierced by the debris. Investigators never reveal what else was discovered in the building, basins filled with blood from a corpse. <laughs> All right, so that's the beginning. What kind of investigation so, could they be doing in the 1500s though anyway? <laughs> no, the 1937. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. I think there's- yeah. Okay, but now we fast forward to 1997, and we have this uh, antique stealer. His name is Jesus Grace, which means gray Jesus. Mm. But um, anyway, that's his name, Jesus Grace. So he notices in the base of this archangel 
statue. It's hollow. And he opens it up and he finds the Kronos device. Um, and he winds, it looks like a scarab. It's got these, um, it's got these pincer things that are um, flush against the body until a little bit later. Now, Jesus has this beautiful relationship with his granddaughter, Aww. who for some reason never speaks at all. She only says one word in the whole movie. But um, they have this beautiful relationship. They play hopscotch together. Aww. They, um, yeah, it's just really enduring, endearing and everything. So he's playing with this Kronos device and he's saying to her, what do you think it is? Is it like some kind of toy? What is it? <laughs> and the, 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 he's winding it and then the pincer things come out and they like clasp onto his hand oh, and his no. hand is all bloody and nasty. So it hurts like a motherfucker, but he, his health and his, and he, you know, starts to improve oh. and he feels younger and stronger and more sexy and more virile and everything like that. <laughs> Do you hear all those Miss things? popular. Yeah. <laughs> phone is like Why are you up. so obsessed with me? That's what you should say. <laughs> um, well, what it is, is it, it's in is coming from my tablet which is, um, I can't really re reach it right now um, and it's but it's really starting to annoy me these are people <laughs> from my running group it's going to come through on the podcast so basically what this is is a vampire story hmm. with this Kronos device and um, what happens is he gets more and more um, you know addicted to feeling young and virile and everything and their really disgusting scene is when he's at this party and somebody has a bloody nose and he follows the guy into the bathroom and there's all this blood like on the sink oh. and then um, he really, you know, he wants that blood, but um, somebody else comes along and cleans it up, um, but some falls on the floor and our man gets down on the floor and licks it up. And I felt legit nauseated. I was like, oh my God. Don't want to waste a single but drop. <laughs> it's a very good, I mean, that's an addict right there. I mean, that's a very good depiction of somebody who's desperate. Um, and so anyway, you can just sort of guess what happens. You know, this continues. His his granddaughter is very concerned Aww. because he's doing things like putting the Kronos device like on his chest. Oh, God. And it hurts. I mean, it really hurts every time these little legs go into his body. Mm -hmm. um, so he's really worried. There's also this plot where this other family the De La Guardias are looking for it. And um, one of them is, is um, what's his face? Ron Perlman. Mm. So I looked it up. He was 43 when he made this movie. So he's got like, like gray hair. I mean, brown hair. Mm. And uh, he's really young. And he's obsessed with getting a nose job. So he's sort of like the comedic relief. But mm. he's the goon who's also trying to find this Kronos device. Mm. Anyway, it all comes to a head, and in the one of the very last scenes, um, the grandfather is 
um, trying to figure out what to do because his his skin is like deteriorating and stuff like that. Oh God! Um, like he's, <laughs> but underneath is this like white, like not like a white person, but mm. like paper white. Yeah. Um, yeah, skin. And you know, because of the climax of the movie, the little girl has become injured. And so he's looking at her and she's looking at him and she says the only word she says, which is abuelo, which is grandfather. And he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, drink her blood. Good. So, um, but he, he's, you know, sensitive to sun and all this other stuff, just like any other vampire. So they go back to the house and he's in bed and the last scene is just um, the sun coming up and we don't know if he's mm. going to you know, burst into flames or not. But um, Interesting. So, I mean, it's, a, it's kind of a sweet vampire story. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it has to do with Federico uh, Lupi, mm-hmm. who's like the the lead in this movie he's got um, a sweet face he he is so endearing mm-hmm. he was casares and um in in a devil's backbone and he's also in pan's labyrinth he has a tiny tiny part but yes he has so, such a sweet sweet face mm-hmm. and um i mean i thought it was a pretty good first movie yeah <laughs> you know because um it it really explores a lot of really interesting um themes and we hadn't really gotten that idea of a vampire being an addict yeah you know so much i mean we sort it's sort of like common um a a common way of describing a vampire now but anyway i liked it i would probably give it three and a half scarabs three and a half scarabs yeah, <laughs> I enjoyed it. Yeah, but, I mean, it's 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 definitely you can definitely see the progression in Del Toro's career. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was before Double, Double's Backbone. So mm-hmm. it's a little clunkier, but I still enjoyed it. Still got that Del Toro heart. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess I'll get into my movie. I watched Culture Shock from 2019 directed by Gigi Saul Guerrero. Um, and this was a part of Hulu's Into the Dark series, um, which I've, I've watched a fair bit of. And I believe they're all based off of holidays. So this one would be the 4th of July. Um, so I, I could not find like a full, no, nobody's typed up a full synopsis online. So this is all off the dome. Um, well, first I'll tell you, The basic synopsis is a young Mexican woman crosses the border in search of the American dream, only to instead find her worst nightmare lying within. So this movie's tough. Um, It's 91 minutes long. Um, Like I said, it is directed by Gigi Saul Guerrero, who also plays a really, really tiny role in it. Um, The main actress is Martha Higuereta, um, Sean Ashmore. Creed Bratton from The Office, which wins oh, wow. the, it was not a good casting choice, and um, Barbara Crampton, who we who we love, um, and I mean, first off, I just got to say, Martha Higuereta owns this movie. Like the like if this movie would have been way worse with a less competent actress, but she she like. The camera's basically on her the whole time, and she eats it up. Um, so basically, 
this this starts off like like I said, she she's a young woman living in Mexico. She has a boyfriend named Oscar who's like, "Come, we're gonna live the American dream. We're gonna go across the border together." Um, she gets left behind, and he rapes her. It's a really, I mean, like immediately in the movie, it's a really brutal scene. Um, and she's pregnant now, and um, so she's like, she's almost due. Um, but she's like, I want to go, I, I'm, I want to go back, you know, across the border. And so she finds the coyote who, um, had first sent her, helped them. And he's like, you're pregnant. I'm not doing that. And then she's like, I've got money. So he's like, okay. And she does have like, we, we don't really know a lot about her life. Um, there is a really, it was a really impactful scene to me right before she leaves. She wants to get, she lives with this woman. It's not her mom. I don't know exactly who, what their relationship was. I couldn't gather that. Um, but she wants this woman's blessing before she leaves. And um, she's very much like, don't go. Like, this is your home. And what this woman does is she gets contraceptives to give to young women living in the area. And this is the fucked up thing. It's because sexual assault is so rampant in this area that oh. um, even though these these young women are most of them are Catholic and they're like, I don't, I don't believe in that. Like then, um, you know, the main, the main character played by Martha. Oh gosh. I wish I could remember her name. Wait, hold on one sec. Her name is come on Mia. No Marisol Marisol um, Marisol with her big belly is like, listen, I know you don't want to do it, but like you could end up like me and it's rough. Mm. Um, and so, you know, the, the, and you know, the, there's like a sisterhood moment, you know, um, but it kind of tells you that like where she, at least where she is right then and there, it's like, she just doesn't feel like it's a good situation, but I will say they don't really do a great job of explaining why she wants to go to America. It's just kind of like, I want to go. And I mean, they've already done a good job of making us attached to her because we saw her get brutalized in the first five seconds, but her character is kind of just... I want to go to America and I just mm -hmm. wish it would have been a little bit more anyways. So she, she, um, is with this guy, Santo. Um, he's another guy who they're taking over the border and this young boy, Ricky and Santo apparently is this killer and stuff, but we can already tell he's a nice guy. He's like, you know, kind of cold, but he's got like this photo of, a woman and a, and a young boy. So, I mean, he obviously lost his family and he puts it down in a memorial and Marisol sees this and she, she kind of clocks him of like, you're not that bad of a guy. And, um, she has a really sweet relationship with this boy, Ricky, who's from Guatemala. And, um, she kind of like takes care of him. It's really sweet. There's another threat of assault while they're staying at this guy's house. He basically is going to assault Marisol and it only is prevented when Santo steps in and intervenes so again there's just the threat of it's a huge theme in the movie which i'm not saying is like a bad thing it's just it's tough like there was times when i was like i don't want to watch this movie anymore <laughs> but it was more just because i was so like distressed um so so they're they're trying to cross the border and they run into the cartel and so they're running and the last thing we see is border patrol like stop and then it all goes to black. But then we see these visions of Barbara Crampton being like, like you're having your baby, like breathe in, breathe out. And she wakes up and she's in this like pastel, beautiful world 
I say beautiful though. It's creepy. Like it, like the way you had described it last week of the world from Edward Scissor's hands. Exactly. Like she's got this like little, you know, frou-frou, like everything looks like it's, it's Easter basically. And <laughs> Barbara Crampton has her baby and she's like, I'm Betty and you know, welcome. And you know, she sees she's not pregnant anymore. And She's not given her uh, – Barbara Crampton's like, oh, you had a beautiful baby girl, but you can't you can't see her. Um, she's like, I want you to go meet everyone. And so we get a real Stepford Wives moment because she leaves the house and all of these people leave their houses with like the biggest smile. And they're all – they're mostly um, Hispanic and then there's some other like people of color. So we can gather that um, all of these people are immigrants as well, um, but they're living in this like – paradise sean ashmore um who what was he in lost um he he's um he looks australian i don't know um white he's he's a white guy and he's like i'm the mayor i'm thomas and and so already we kind of can see that he's a little bit different from everybody because everyone else is acting like a robot and he's not and in fact uh, marisol runs into ricky but it, and this kid does a great job because he just looks at her with like this big smile and he's like, hello, it's nice to meet you. I'm Ricky. Oh, and that's another thing I should add. Everyone's talking in English. And Marisol's like, why am I talking in like, I don't know English, you know, <laughs> um, but everyone's talking in English. And she she tries to get Ricky to um, recognize her. And so she starts singing the Mexican national anthem because there was a scene earlier because Ricky's trying to pass off that he's not from Guatemala, that he's from Mexico. So they were practicing singing the, the national anthem together. So she starts to sing it to him and we see some like recognition in his face, but then he's called off to class. She sees Santo, but whereas before he had head to toe tattoos, no more tattoos. And he's the same like, hello, how are you? You know? And so she recites this prayer back to him that he had said, um, and he immediately starts freaking out and he's just like, what, where, like, what, why am I talking in English? Like, why is my skin like this? You know, like what, what is happening? And he just begins stabbing himself. Like he takes this knife and he just begins stabbing himself. And this is happening when they're in this like mess hall and Marisol's like freaking out. Nobody else sees anything except for, um, the white people there who are like the handlers a little bit. And they're all kind of like, uh, um, but then it's fine because she wakes up and it's just the next day. And this happens frequently. Like this, anytime she gets distressed, mm. wakes up. Oh, wait, and it's the next day. <sighs> well, um, eventually <laughs> she's following Thomas and um, he disappears. Like she's following him around this bend and he disappears. And there's this great scene when she's walking, following him. And she passes by all these houses where now there are, there are only white people and they're just kind of standing half outside their doors just like looking at her and it's very weird. And so she she finds this area that's like fluid almost and so she goes through it and it turns out – and listen, I got to say if you have any interest in watching this movie, like don't listen right now because this is like the craziest shit she wakes up. She's still pregnant. She's strapped to like a gurney with this VR headset on and got like a feeding uh, tube in yeah. her mouth. And basically what we learn is that Thomas um, is uh, an assistant for this, for Creed Bratton. Oh, it's Queen Rosie. 
Um, it's the queen. The queen herself. Who, as soon as you see him, you're like, I mean, that's Creed from The Office. Like, I, I'm sorry, but that guy yeah. can't be anything but Creed from The Office. And he's like, <laughs> how are the patients faring? Um, and basically, we learned that. And again, I kind of didn't un- totally quite get this. But basically, they were captured by Border Patrol. And given this is an experimental thing that they're doing where they're transitioning them. And so they're trying to get them the American dream, you know, even though this is like some weird fucked up virgin version. And, you know, um, Creed Bratton starts to talk about, you know, the prison system, which I thought was like nice that they like begin to kind of go into how like, I mean, there's like basically indentured servitude in prisons right now in America that corporations use their unpaid labor for. And so, but basically he's like, well, now they're, he's like private prisons, you know, and he used to work at a private prison, of course. Um, he's like that, you know, it's, it's overcrowded. So this is a way, but again, I'm kind of like, I don't really know what they're doing with their bodies. Like I don't quite understand. And it's not even that I want this to happen, but I don't understand why they wouldn't just kill them. You know, like that's mm-hmm. kind of the disconnect I got was kind of like, and apparently Thomas takes this job because he's like, oh, I wanted to be, I wanted to help. And I was like, I don't believe, that. I mean, you can see these people and, oh, what, what do they say at one point? Cause they're pumping drugs into them all the time. And, um, he asked him, he's like, oh, how, how is that kid Ricky doing? And he's like, all the kids just seem to die because they can't handle the drugs. And he's, and apparently Marisol is the first pregnant woman that they've had. And they're, and he's like, when is she going to have the baby? And he's like, well, I don't know. Like you're putting drugs into her system and she's being strapped to a gurney. Like this is not the best environment for her. Meanwhile, Marisol can hear all of this, but she's keeping, keeping cool. Um, and basically Thomas realizes that she is out. So adds something to her VR thing where when she tries to escape next time, she's just in this never ending loop of the, the lab that they're in. And so he's watching this and like, oh, he feels bad. But this is another part of the movie. I'm like, are we trying to humanize Thomas right now? Like they try to kind of play it as if Creed, oh, he's the evil one. But Thomas, he's got a little bit of a heart. And it's like, I can't like you. Like, it only took for somebody to say that they're suffering for you to be like, oh, these people are suffering. You know, it's like you weren't concerned the first time you strapped a person to a gurney and stuck a feeding tube in their mouth. Like, I don't know that part. And they really tried to redeem him by the end. And I'm like not having it. Um, basically, um, Marisol explains the situation to Santo. Um, and there's a part where she's singing like the, the Mexican, Na- Mexican national anthem in front of the whole mess hall. And this, this is one scare that I thought, or not scare, there's not really any scares. It's more just like body horror. There's one thing that in this movie I was like, now this was amazing. Because every time somebody eats in the movie, it's this horrible crunching, like really loud carnal eating. And it's been happening the whole movie. But then we find out now that we know about what the situation actually is, it's just the sound of the feeding tubes, like you know and these people are like ravenously eating but they're not you know they're being force-fed food but in the vr thing they're made to think like oh i want to eat this this is great um marisol's like she has this great moment where she where this woman's asking her like do you want any dessert you know and she's like no because you only have fucking like ice cream and you know cake i want flan she's like i you know she starts listing all these desserts that you know that they don't have and um 
basically they they fuck the whole system up they escape um again there's all these fight scenes with santo and these like guards and i'm like okay not that i'm not happy to see this guy santo kick their asses but he's been strapped to a gurney not eating mm. real food for god knows how long and you're telling me this man can stand up and fight like no like I've been in a hospital bed for three days. Like, you can't do shit. You know, like, you're done. Um, so they escape. Again, Thomas, he shoots Creed Bratton in the head. He's like, I'm going to do something good. And, um, you know, there is one great line where Creed tells him, he's like, listen, kid, we're not trying to give them the American dream. We're trying to keep them out of it. And I think that that's a pretty good, you know, um, characterization of you know what how people feel you know up towards towards immigrants unfortunately in america um and then the movie ends with santo he's going to continue um crossing the border and marisol's going to go back she's had she has her baby and she leaves mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and goes back she's home. going back to mexico mm -hmm. yeah. and that's the end of the movie and again you know it's really interesting it's a really visually very pretty like i said martha higuereta kills it should win like this movie would be nothing without her um and i i'm not saying i dislike the idea like and i'm not even against some, somebody described it as like if get out and stepford wives had a baby yes like that's exactly what i thought um but there just kind of wasn't a lot of detail there in there for me and um again everybody's characters for to me like a movie that was trying to humanize people it's like their characters were just kind of like i'm pregnant and i want to go to america you know it's like i don't know anything about her besides that um but yeah i would give it three three feeding tubes <laughs> <laughs> i was not expecting that <laughs> Oh, my God. Oh, and this is so cringe. The movie legit ends with, they don't say who it is, but they say after this, you know, it's like a fake news thing about, like, terrorist organizations. Because, of course, they blame this on the on the immigrants, not, you know, the, the people keeping them captive. And the, the news anchor lady is like, the president tweeted, like, we need to keep these illegal aliens out of here. So true. And it's just like, okay. The, to me, that's not very funny. Like... I, no. Like, you know, I will say the the woman who wrote this, like, she's not white. So, like, you know, I would have felt a bit weirder. Like, but do you know what I mean? It was just kind of like, I don't know. It was tough watching it in a way because, and I get art is supposed to make you uncomfortable. But that particular scene, like, right at the end, I was like, well, you're playing this for a joke. But, like, I don't find it funny, you know, just personally. Mm -hmm. You know, I was kind of like you had this whole movie where you know you you brutalized this young woman left and right and now i'm supposed to be like the the, the president is crazy and racist though and it's like that's scary <laughs> yeah but yeah three feeding tubes <laughs> okay okay um okay i just have the outro our special announcement and the thank you okie doke and have you decided what your country is going to be next yes. week, Mac? What Austria. Okay, cool. And I'm going to do India. Do you have your movie? And, um, yeah, I think I'm just going to do Tumbad. Okay. Which I've already seen. 
but I'll just rewatch it and um, not torture myself because it was um, so interesting. <laughs> I really liked it. <laughs> um, and do you know your meeting? Meeting? Do you know? Sorry. Do you know your movie? Taxidermia. Ooh, mm-hmm. that sounds good. I've wanted to watch it forever. Cool. All right, that's it for this week. Join us next time when we look at our next films from India and Austria. Special announcement. After next week, we will be taking a week off before we return with season two. We are moving to a new platform and friend of the show, Quinn, will be joining the podcast not as a special guest, but as a regular contributor with her segment, Quinn's and Answers. Before we go, Wohos, we want to say thank you so much for supporting us. It means the world of horror to us, truly. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are working on YouTube. If you'd like to support us further, click on the support button at anchor.fm slash worldofhorror. If you like this podcast, please tell all your friends and leave a good review in the places where people leave reviews. If you want to get in touch with us, you can at worldofhorror96 at gmail.com. Don't go into the basement. (laughs) Hey, well, hosts, mom. I just wanted to do the thanks and refs bit. Thanks to Anchor Audacity, Charles Michelle DeLeon, Devin DeMadia, Lady Irwin, Alan Hyde, IMDB, Mark Kermode, The Nerd Writer, Quinn McLaughlin, that's out of alphabetical order, but we're going to keep going. Pixabay, The Gay Jimmy Buffett, Wikipedia. The John Cho the movie that we were talking about is called Searching. It's from 2018, and it is good. I recommend that you watch it. We're going to finish up season one next week with a slightly different format. Max going to choose a movie from Austria. I'm choosing a movie from India. And that's it. That's what we're doing next week. The week after, we're taking a break to regroup because Quinn's joining the podcast and we are probably going to go back to the original movie remake movie format for the most part. And we're also switching platforms. But it's still the world of horror. Um, We'll still be doing our thing. So hope you will come back next week and come back every week. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, please do so. We'd love to hear from you. We love you. And don't go into the basement.